You're listening to the Winsight Podcast Network. Increase covers, not costs. It's time to level up with Talk, the restaurant industry's leading reservation platform. Join today using promo code RESTAURANTS3 for three months free off of your base subscription. Terms and conditions apply. Go to jointalk.com slash podcast. That's jointalk.com slash podcast. Where are sales and traffic going in 2023 and who will win? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business. And in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with RJ Hadavi, the Head of Analytical Research with the foot traffic data firm Placer.ai. RJ has covered the industry for more than two decades and knows a thing or two about the restaurant and retail sectors. And we like having him on the show every so often to talk about the state of industry traffic. RJ joined us at the recently concluded National Restaurant Association show. We discuss the potential impact of a recession on restaurant industry sales and traffic. Consumers have been increasingly reliant on credit card debt to pay various expenses, leading many to believe that cutbacks in spending are coming. Who will win in that scenario and who will lose? RJ and I talk about those issues on this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, so please have a listen. Okay, I am here with RJ Hadavi. RJ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, so we're coming from the uh, National Restaurant Show in May 2023. Where do you see the restaurant industry and specifically fast food uh, going right now? Where what what's your what's your perspective on the industry it's, at the moment? It's an interesting because if you think about 2023 so far, it's been an up and down year for the, <laughs> for the industry. I mean, it started out great. We were lapping Omicron. We had some good weather in January. Things were looking good, a lot of demand, and as we've kind of gone through the year, uh, I think about March was kind of the time frame people started realizing maybe it's not so great. I mean, yeah, we've been dealing with inflation for a while. We've been dealing with other things. You know, SVB was a new term for a lot of Americans and all of a sudden made them realize maybe uh, not so great in the economy right now. And so ever since then, our foot traffic data has shown you know, pretty good declines for March, April, May in terms of visitation trends. Now, quick service restaurants have, you know, being the value play in the space, they've been outperforming and I think we're going to continue to see that but even there there's mixed results too I mean McDonald's still doing well we're seeing a lot of good visitations there but other players like Burger King that's slowly coming back to the industry average um, you know Hardy CKE groups like that still lagging so it's mixed results and it really comes down to execution too so I think those that have been able to figure out not just value but innovate around value do some good promotional strategies in the QSR space they're still they're still going to outperform so one of the concerns that I have when I think about fast food names, because I, I you saw the April uh, CPI data, yeah. and limited service restaurants didn't seem to slow down. No. Now it's it's just like one month, but yeah. still, we don't really see any signs. And what I'm hearing is we're not seeing any signs of limited service restaurants no. pulling back their price increases, which to me senses that a they still think they need to keep taking margin, but that they're confident in their ability to continue to maintain traffic. Yeah in the coming months, but my concern with that is that the industry is going, like I, I hear from a number of people, from from friends of mine, again, this is just super anecdotal, that you know they're concerned about you know the prices that they're paying yeah. at some of these restaurants. And the concern is that if we go into a, an economy in which, and we are almost certainly headed to a recession, yeah, a consumer-focused yeah, recession. I'd agree. And, if, if, if consumers do pull back, I mean, do 
fast food restaurants have the value that they're going to need to carry them through that period, or do they just have this reputation for cheap food enough that they can survive anyway? I, I, you can only get so, by, so far, get by so far on your reputation and the low pricing. What our data has shown is that consumers are extremely quick to react to price changes. I mean, it's it's fascinating. Like the two days after a you know location or chain changes prices, the impact is almost immediate. We saw this a lot last year when you know March was last March was kind of the trigger point for a lot of uh, Americans psychologically. That was the point when gas prices went up. Been dealing with food inflation both at home and away from home. Been dealing with rent costs, everything like that. And March came around, and everyone realized, oh, I'm spending a lot on things. So everybody went to quick service restaurants. But was interesting in the middle of the summer when we started seeing those high single digit, low double digit menu price increases. Everyone stopped going. I mean, they, they was a big pullback, a big pushback. Now, a lot of the chains said, oh, that was our lower income consumers that were just parsing out. You know, groups like Chipotle and Chili's all said that. In reality, it was actually starting to creep up to the middle income consumer. We're starting to see real pressure of that group, too. And so I think if we continue, uh, and to your point, nobody's pulling back prices. Nobody ever does pull back prices. Once it's on the menu board, you're not, you're not pulling back that menu price. Mm-hmm. And, and it just doesn't happen. But you need to offset it. There's got to be a way to do that. And again, it's the players that have kind of done not just value, not just having low prices, but also something that catches people's eye on the value side. And I think Taco Bell's done a good job with this. They have some really innovative stuff on the dollar menu. Or the you know, celebrity meals like McDonald's, those have been a home run for the company. Those are the ways that you get people back in value. And so it's not enough just to have that reputation of being a low cost provider. You also got to do something else because it's still a crowded space. People, I've got, you know, only limited discretionary money to spend. I'm going to go find the place that's going to make me happy with it. Mm-hmm. We get some, don't we get some easy comparisons here in the next few months? Uh, we'll start to get some about midway through the summer. Um, yeah. yeah, that's when we started to see, really it was about April last year is when we started to see traffic decline for most of them. Uh, and then it gets easier as we go throughout the year. We're going to start seeing some easier comparisons. But even that, I mean, because last March was a down down month for a lot of restaurant chains. And even that, we're starting to see down, down again. So it's interesting from a visitation standpoint. And just if you look broadly, too, it's not just restaurants. It's, you know, food retail. It's all discretionary retail. I mean, the only category is really comping up right now. Uh, dollar stores, not surprising. A lot of trade down going on. Uh, super stores are holding flat as they lose lower income, but pick up middle income consumers that are trading down. Uh, and beauty is actually still holding up pretty well too. Really? So yeah. Well, well, you know. people still you know the trade from physical goods to services. We're still seeing that play out. So yeah, yeah. I um, I tend to think that you know right now, you know, it, it, you know the the issue I think that a lot of restaurants have is you know if you go back to the Great Recession and you know a lot of you know your McDonald's and Subways of the world were yeah. able to carry themselves through. With with these really low low price value yeah, offers, and yeah. I don't know that they can do that. Yeah, and and if they're going to get traffic, they're going to have to find other ways to do that. To your point, by resonating with the consumer, or you know, like Taco Bell, just just sort of innovating around a low cost menu that yeah. they could still make money off of. I, I think you're right. I mean, it's the the days of the dollar menu. Now, you and I have had this conversation too. I mean, McDonald's is driving traffic a completely different way than they did ten years ago. Yeah. And that time it was all about the the dollar menu and then the one two three menu and things like that. Now it's all about the the innovation and you know value is almost kind of an afterthought when they're on their marketing programs. And so uh, I think that's the way to think about it too. And you, you're right. I mean. Some of the price points that are out there, I mean, it's you, you got to drive a lot of volume to make the economics work on it. So, yeah, I don't think we're, I mean, you have to innovate around that. You have to, to really make something, give people a reason to come in. But you know, the days of kind of dollar price point menu, it's, it's not, can't work in this environment. Yeah. One of the interesting things and the question that I have is whether this is a 
indicator of problems to come or if it's just unique to the pizza sector. But like Walmart yeah. in the first quarter said their pizza sales, Walmart's pizza sales were up like 29%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, frozen pizza sales last year were up 11%. Yeah. None of the, except for the only of the 10 largest pizza chains in the United States, only one of them, only only one pizza chain, limited service pizza chain, had more than a 10% growth in total sales. Yeah. That being Mod Pizza, which is sort of its own animal. Yeah, that's it. A little it's, bit. It's and every, every other pizza, major pizza chain, was did, could not keep up with frozen pizza. So we had this phenomenon in which people shifted from pizza delivery to eating pizza at home. And is that something we could see spread to others? Well, you, you, you pointed out a little earlier that, you know, limited service pricing isn't going down. If you look at the CPI numbers, no. it's not going down. But what is going down is the food at home mm-hmm. number. That is starting to break a little bit lower. Um, and so all of a sudden you've got this gap. I mean, it had been basically running about equal, you know, high single digit, low double digit for, you know, late last year, most of this year. Now we're starting to see that gap. I think it's, you know, two, two and a half points in terms of that uh, between the food at home versus food away from home CPI. That's that's worth noting because to your point, all of a sudden uh, grocery chains can start to move the needle a little bit more in value. Frozen pizzas not being the only thing, too. They can start doing it on some other, uh, you know, chickens, I think, going to be an area, too, where you start to see some of that as well. Um, that's something to watch because consumers are, again, limited discretionary dollars. They've got to stretch household budgets. They are going to start to do that. I suspect that that's probably the start of something else, um, you know, especially as you start to see some of these other things, too. I mean, we're only the real early part of seeing kind of the impact of interest rates uh, on consumer uh, checkbooks. Uh, as it gets tighter and tighter, don't be surprised if we start to see uh, a lot of people shift to not just you know overall grocery, but value grocery in particular. We've got a lot of good data, like the, the players like an Aldi, Alito, grocery outlet, you know, the real bargain basement type pricing. They're the ones killing it right now. I mean, if you look, they're they're up pretty good, um, you know, relative to the space uh, right now. And so you see just an everyday visitation trends with our with our data, uh, how important that is for people. And it's so if that's a way to drive traffic to grocery stores, that's a that's a move that a lot of grocery stores will use. Yeah, they were doing that with pizza last year. They yeah. they had a lot of you know they were really focused on pizza value, likely because they sensed that this was an opportunity for well, them. Without a doubt, yeah. And and. Um, you know, and, and that's that's likely to continue. And it's it's um, the consumer, you know, really is is I, I mean, I, there's a pretty big ex- expectation that the consumer is going to have to pull back. Yeah. And probably he's already started. I think that. they are. And um, because, you know, they've they've been living on borrowed time. Like, yeah. I mean, consumer, you know, savings rate is really down. I mean, uh, the savings rate is down. Uh, you know, people are borrowing more money. Credit card debt. Way Credit up. card up is, debt is up. Um, and so they're borrowing their way through this inflation period. Yep. Um, now we're starting to see layoffs. You saw a lot of tech layoffs, a lot of financial layoffs. Eventually, that's probably going to start making their way through other industries, likely. I mean, eventually, you know, I mean, the, the, the you know, I mean, I'm not an economist, but it certainly looks like the Federal Reserve's <laughs> pushed us into a recession. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that's the consumer is going to have to pull back. And no, I and, think, yeah, to your point, they, I think they already are. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I just think right now is the time that they, they that restaurants need to, to pay attention to the charges that they're making. And and I mean, you know, they might be sort of limited. I mean, they might be concerned about margin, but everything that I've heard in the first quarter, by the way, was margin expansion. Yeah. Yeah. 
in sales leverage. Yeah, and, and that, that's great. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think you still need to drive traffic. And I think it will start to see that message, that narrative start to change as we get to the second and third quarter earnings here, talking about maybe giving up a little bit of that margin to drive traffic. And I think that's important. That's really the key thing, to, you know, the, the chains that really came out of the last recession did so well as they were willing to trade a little bit of their margin to, to do the right things and position the business well to keep, keep people coming back. Um, yeah, and it's not just, you know, there's a lot of technologies, you know, that are out there with loyalty programs and mm-hmm. digital apps and things like that. It's a different time than it was a decade ago. And I think that some of that, you know, trade off, not just in pricing, but also making sure that you get the right ways and the right messaging to right infrastructure to help out their technology assets as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, do you think, I mean, do you think these loyalty programs are enough to drive like the, the pricing you're seeing? The prices, some of these, like the the offers, I guess you see if like if yeah. you if you're on a McDonald's loyalty app, I mean they probably usually anytime a half a dozen different offers yeah. to their loyalty members. Burger King is even more aggressive, <laughs> yeah. I mean, typically. Yeah, I mean, is that enough to drive traffic? You think or not enough? It's not enough on its own. It's got to be you know part of a broader effort though, and I, it's something you have to have. I don't think it's, you, if you just try it without kind of a digital app. In this day and age, it, it's tough to do, uh, but I think it has to be part of a broader, you know, uh, initiative. You know, so it's got to be part of your own, you know, national marketing or regional. If you're a regional player, it's got to be part of that. So I don't think it's enough just to have the app, but they are important because we do see the players that have really done a good job. McDonald's is a good example of that, but several others as well that have really done a good job, kind of that one-to-one communication with consumers and using that as a lever. But uh, it's also about you know what kind of messages are there, and you know, it's not every message lands right now too. So uh, some of that's got to be augmented by you know innovation too because that's also the other thing is that we went through the period of the pandemic everybody pulled back their menu so much you know basically innovation went away for about 16 months and then started to come back in 21 and even more so in 22 and it's really amazing the results that happened i mean think back to the mexican pizza and taco bell a lot of it's nostalgia play i mean the amount of traffic that uh, that they drew off that was it was one of the best ltos we had ever seen visitation wise and then lo and behold mcdonald's comes out with the adult happy meal in october which rose visitation trends for the entire quick service restaurant category by six seven points and so these are the kind of things that, you know, and again, they're anchored around value, but it's, this is just the stuff that these guys, it's not just enough on the app. You also have to augment it with innovation on the menu too. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot. Don't, don't have to overly complicate and make a lot of changes that really disrupt the workflow, but there has, still has to be innovation. That's, I mean, you, you brought like the two most interesting marketing, <laughs> marketing <laughs> uh, uh, situations of, of, of 2022. Yeah. I mean, the Mexican pizza, I mean, that was they that they had no idea yeah and that's like because we, we mark king was our restaurant leader of the year and he i mean he said like basically said if if we knew that <laughs> it would be that popular we would have not have taken it off the yeah, menu yeah. you don't take an item off the menu if yeah, if you, exactly if, yeah if, if people like it that's yeah. you know they're too too scared and yet so they did that and then i mean and then and then the adult happy meal which also kind of hit McDonald's. I mean, they knew that they, they knew they it was going to be good, but I mean, not, they they exceeded their expectations. Right, and so it doesn't seem like that's something very like you can't, like you almost can't predict some those things like that. Yeah, like I mean, it goes back like the Popeyes chicken sandwich is yeah, actually that's another exactly. one. Yeah, yeah. It just like in 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 this day and age, it's you, these things just take on sort of a life of their own, right? Yeah, viral and, menuing here, and like how do you even? It seems seems like you just. You just kind of ride with it or something like that. Yeah, it's it's a good question. And it kind of depends on the brand. Each brand, you know, what 
attachment consumers have to it, what nostalgia is there. Because uh, there there have been some other ones that haven't connected like this too that we're not talking about. So uh, there's been some other ones that uh, you know haven't landed the way that your restaurants have wanted them to. So yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes it's you know not just the. I think the product itself is most important, but sometimes the the messaging behind it. You know, getting the right people to influence and stuff too. So. Yeah. New day and age when it comes to marketing in the front. Yeah. So any sectors of, of the business right now that you really like? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, if we look at kind of the top performers, um, entertainment's starting to roll over. They had a big 2022. So yeah, Dave and Buster's main event, Topgolf, all those players had, had great years. People wanted to get back out and rejoin society. So those guys were doing very well. Uh, those are starting to roll over a little bit. They're still, if you look kind of, Pre or current versus pre-pandemic, most of them are still above on a visit per location basis. So even though they're lapping tough compares, they're doing better than they were pre-pandemic. So there is some legs that that trend. Uh, it's interesting. Fine dining is holding up better than casual dining. Not, I guess it's not probably too surprising that higher income consumers better position, shaking off a lot of the movements that are out there. Um, it's interesting because I think that was a big motivation behind uh, Darden and the uh, the Ruth Chris acquisition there too. I mean, I think that's a big part of it. Fine dining, even though it's down compared to pre-pandemic levels, a lot of that because of store closures, um, is still holding up there on a relative basis compared to all others uh, fine dining. So that's one that's been doing okay. Uh, QSR, um, even though they took some lumps midway through last year with pricing, they're on pretty stable footing now. It's been a little bit, we've seen less pricing increases this year than we saw the late last year. And so I think that's helped it stabilize. Although to your point, not seeing it go down, uh, pricing go down if, you know, if they start to raise prices again, we could see an immediate impact. So that's kind of the categories that I've seen um, overall. I'm trying to think of standout stories here. McDonald's continue to do very well. Um, Chipotle's <laughs> doing well. That's another one that's been yeah, some really nice stuff. Again, innovation there with the uh, chicken, the new chicken product, uh, doing some really things. So again, another lesson learned on that one. So yeah, I, I I find McDonald's performance really over the last couple of years to be almost in like really really remarkable. Like like they are just absolutely i mean they're just pretty much destroying yeah their primary competitors like except for chick-fil-a like i would say yeah. like chick-fil-a is I, I i'd separate the chicken category as a whole because yeah. chick-fil-a raising canes all doing oh very God. well so yeah. we could have old podcasts about those two we could we could do right we there. could do that they could we i love the looking at the data on that i I know I've shared some of the drive-through mm-hmm. stats with those guys before. It is just amazing to see. Nobody does efficiency like those guys do. Both yeah. of them. I give them a lot of credit. Both those chains. I mean, yeah. You know, you know the. And I, I was looking at their numbers, and I think one of the chains that we don't talk about enough on speaking of the chicken is Wingstop. Yeah, yeah. I don't really think that they get it because, like, in the chicken category. No, I don't. They're chicken. I actually don't consider in my head. Yeah. I actually think of Wingstop more like a pizza chain, although they yeah, have the yeah. chicken sandwich, which really did very well for them, yeah. I think. But I don't think that they get quite enough credit. I'd agree with you. I, I think that they kind of get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly in the chicken category. It's not like a BW3s. It's not exactly, you know, you know, it's QSR, but it's not in a lot of ways. Uh, and it's it's kind of kind of uh, it's on an island if you will there's obviously players that are trying to do it and sometimes it gets lumped into some of the virtual brands that came out during the pandemic as well but it's completely different than that and i think you're right i mean our visitation data for them is pretty impressive uh and again they they've been doing some stuff in the innovation this chicken sandwich stuff you know it doesn't take a lot doesn't add a lot of complexity to bring all these different flavor profiles but it seems like it's working so yeah yeah and i i it's it's just a uh, 
you know, they're sort of in their, yeah, I mean, to your point, they're sort of in their own category. Yeah. I mean, Buffalo Wild Wings is a good competitor, and there's obviously a lot of restaurant chains that sell chicken wings, but not quite like they do. No, no. And, and, um, and so, and then they've, they've managed to, uh, you know, they've, they've done a, they do a really good delivery business without actually doing their own delivery, which yeah. is, which is also, that's hard. Relative. That's, that's hard to very do. difficult that's to very do. Difficult do. So, and, and people, you know, people really like them. So I think that that's, I mean, that's a really good chain now, like raising canes. I mean, you know, the question, their goal, by the way, is to become a top 10 restaurant chain yeah. in by 2030. Yeah. And which would, I think that I think I did the math, and I think that they would need average unit volumes with the existing restaurant growth to be somewhere in the a neighborhood of like eight million dollars per location, which I seems extraordinary to me. But I don't. I mean, I would have never. Yeah, they're, they're, doing, they're doing six now. So yeah, that's... I would never have guessed that they'd be able to do what they're doing. Yeah, now. exactly. I mean, um, what you just said about Wingstop raising cans, and I probably put Chick Fil A in this bucket as well. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who are moving the fastest to changes in trade areas because that's the thing that I don't think gets enough attention. The trade areas that you built a store in pre-pandemic has completely changed. The demographics in that trade area, whether it be migration, people moving away to southern markets, you know, you Tampa, Dallas, San Antonio, whatever it might be, or moving away from urban centers to suburban and even rural markets in some cases too. That's a big trend and not enough restaurants are moving quickly enough to it. Those guys, both all three of those chains, have done an exceptional job reacting quickly, moving toward it. I mean, uh, Bridging Canes is still doing 150, 200 locations a year, and all company owned, which is even more impressive. So they've done a phenomenal job on that front, and they, to me, they're the ones who are quickly adjusting to changes in behavior and things like that. So I know it's you know there's some inertia, it's things you don't want to necessarily do, and you know you've already locked into agreements sometimes. Yeah, we've already got it. Let's just open it. These guys have been really quick and really uh, making sure they're smart about site selection more than anything else. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, yeah, if you look, especially at the top chicken players, right? Yeah. Like, um, so your, your, your chick, I mean, the, 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 the names we mentioned and a, I mean, those three chains are all Southern chains, yeah, that's very, true which is also uh, really important. But if you look at them compared, well, some of these other chicken names are also like churches and KFC and Popeye's, yeah. which has really slowed down the last two years. It has. And, um, you know, these bone-in chains yep. still have, I mean, to your point, a lot of locations that don't really, yeah. they're just not, they're not really in the strongest trade areas. They're, they're not really in the strongest, you know, neighborhoods or, or, or markets. And, you know, some of these, these newer chains, I, I mean, it's one of the more overlooked areas of, of, of these chain successes where their locations are at. And you can actually spread that and talk about, you know, companies like Burger King and Hardee's and, you know, that have had bankruptcy issues with, with some weak areas. Your location matters. It does. It does. More, it does. more than anything else. It's, it's interesting, too. I mean, as we started to... Uh, some of those chains we talked to are customers of ours, and I, I won't say which ones, but um, it's interesting to hear the discussion about the, the ones who really know what they're doing. They're quickly realizing that, you know, case it's not just you know we can't just put them in the south we have to be really smart about the markets in the south and where people migrated to and i mean one of the trends we're seeing is that you know it's not only smaller markets you know sub 500 population but really under 200,000 population are really starting to become a lot more viable just because the people who come in like, there's been migration to those markets but also in those markets it's cheaper to build out the location you have access to basically the entire labor pool when you move in there's a first time a national brand is there you, everybody wants to work at that location and so the unit economics really work and so i mean this goes back to last year when chipotle said 
instead of 6,000 units in the U.S., we can do 7,000. And we looked at the math on what they were doing in terms of visits in their top markets, the largest markets, versus the smaller markets. Lo and behold, they're doing almost 15, 20% higher in visits per location in those smaller markets. And all of a sudden, we started looking at some of the other chains like, this is, you know, the ones who are moving the small markets are seeing some really cool success stories. The other one that, and this is a, you know, Chipotle's doing this as well. I just saw an article out this week about this. Uh, college towns. College towns, not just people coming back to school after the pandemic, we're seeing permanent migration in those markets. A lot of people are seeing, you know, big futures like it, Gainesville, Florida, Tallahassee, areas like that. Um, smaller mm-hmm. markets, but also to see permanent residents. So I think those are interesting markets to look at, too, because we're seeing a pretty big population growth in those markets. And it fits the demographics in a lot of times, too. This is where not only do our, our data, like we've got the ability to look at where people migrated from, but we can also look at migration by household income. And that's where we're seeing the big movement of the household income is in some of these college towns. Hmm. Yeah, so. that's I mean, I mean, that's that's a great point. I, I've on the, on the smaller towns thing. I I don't like look at McDonald's. I that's always like <laughs> yeah. the, the, the penultimate example. And and, you know, I mean, you've taken road trips yeah. and it is the single most prevalent chain yeah. along the road. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and, and a lot of this is just small towns along interstates. And, um, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of operators that have ex- expanded into small towns and they, they, they realize a lot of people get very excited <laughs> about, you know, the presence of, of, of that restaurant. Yeah. And, I mean, you still got to be smart about where yeah, exactly. you're going to putting it. And McDonald's, obviously, being a real estate company, yes. is very good about selecting locations. But it just, it is a undertapped market uh, so. for some of these for some of these the, some of these towns the college thing i hadn't really thought about yeah that it's, it's something to keep an eye on yeah i mean you know with with costs and people moving and all that other stuff yeah. and uh definitely some real growth markets yeah. out there all right super rj this was fantastic really Thank appreciate you, you joining me again on the podcast exactly always and that should do it for this week's episode of a deeper dive which was edited as always by kimmy spoons kasmeric Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. covers, not costs. It's time to level up with Talk, the restaurant industry's leading reservation platform. Join today using promo code RESTAURANTS3 for three months free off of your base subscription. Terms and conditions apply. Go to jointalk.com slash podcast. That's jointalk.com slash podcast.